were greeted when you came in this morning. I, I met some of you out there that said, I've never been more greeted in my life. So, well, that's the point. We've stepped up our greeter ministry, and I want to thank all those who are part of that, who uh, kicked it off this morning. We tried to kick it off last week, but Florence had something to say about that. Uh, but anyway, we are so grateful for our new amped up greeter ministry, and I hope it'll be a blessing to not only you who come, but also those who will come uh, here in our community. So we do thank you for uh, all that you've mean to our church and uh, just making people feel welcome. I also want to... Uh, 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 acknowledge our SWAT ministry. Our SWAT ministry, uh, some of you may not know this, this is our senior ministry, uh, was busy with the equestrian uh, things that have been going on there in Tryon. And if you helped out take, taking care of those who came to volunteer during that time, would you please stand real quick? If you, if you helped out, bake the cake, went and cleaned toilets, whatever you did, great job. We sure appreciate you. Again, this is a ministry. Many of you know our, 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 uh, us serving in our, in our community is our ministry for Shelby. Many of you have seen the t-shirts or whatever. But I want to thank you for being there and uh, just kind of serving other people and in the way that you did over the last couple of weeks. Also, I want to thank Lisa Lee's Carolina for being here today. And I hope you will make your way back to the iDesk to check in on that ministry. Uh, it's definitely a, a ministry that God cares about uh, because he specifically says that in his word. So uh, I hope you'll make a point to, to check that out as, as you leave here today. Well, we're continuing the series, Royal Invitation. This is part 35. Can you believe it? 35 Sundays I've spoken on the, uh, the book of Romans. And uh, this is number 35. We've made our way to Romans chapter 13. So if you'll go ahead and turn there, turn to Romans chapter 13. Now, I want to ask you as you're turning there, how many of you ever heard of Paul Harvey? Remember Paul Harvey? Yeah, I used to love him. It kind of dates me a little bit. I came along at the end of his time on radio. Uh, some of you remember his whole time on radio probably, but anyway, in May of 1976, Paul Harvey began a series of programming on the ABC radio network entitled The Rest of the Story. This, this, this whole radio uh, spot was dedicated uh, to just giving you the news, but Paul Harvey carried it a step further. He would tell you about something, some event, some person, and then he would come on and say something like, and now... The rest of the story. Do you remember that? I remember that. I used to love those clips. As a matter of fact, I'd like to go back and find all the ones. But he would tell you things about people that you never knew. Things that were out there. Important events about people. So, I want to say that to say this. What about the rest of your story? Did you know from today on, you will be telling the rest of your story? Everything that's back here in the past is a part of your story. It can, it can uh, contribute to the rest of your story. But let's face it, from today forward is the rest of your story. Your life is a story. And just like we heard on the screen here just a moment ago, those who were talking about what they would do different. I think for most of us, there's many things we wish we did, had done differently. How many of you can agree with that? Yeah, we all live with some form of regret. We always wish we'd have paid more attention to this, less attention to that. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at the rest of the story as it pertains to your own life. Let's begin with questions like this. How would you like to be remembered? How would you like to be remembered? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? 
What is your course of action to possibly be remembered that way? So many times I've been asked to do memorial services as a pastor and, 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 and many times, the, especially those people I've known over the years and being in the same church for almost 28 years now, it's one of those things where I know a lot about people and I lo- know a lot of people about people who've been here in this church for a long time. And there's some that I feel very equipped to, to be able to say, you know something, I think I can speak on behalf of this person because I really know this person. I really do. And then there's times where I, I'm just not sure. But you know something, it doesn't matter what I know or, or what other people know necessarily. It's more important what you're known for. It's more important what God thinks of you. And so that's my question this morning. How do you want to be remembered? What about the rest of the story? Let me give you something that may be very convicting. Did you know that in the average, the average lifespan we know is around 80 years of age? 30% of that time, we're going to spend sleeping. How many of you like a good night's sleep? How about 30 years of it? Is that enough of it for you? 25 years working. And then check this out. Depending on who you are and what generation I guess you're a part of, 20 to 25% of our time we'll spend on social media and or watching TV. Think about that. 20 to 25% on the phone, checking out Facebook, watching TV, binge watch, whatever you want to call it. I want you to think about that. That is a big number. Watching sports, leaving 20% that can be dedicated to going out to eat. How many of you spend a little time doing that? Getting dressed, waiting in traffic, and of course, all the other stuff fits in there too. It really leaves approximately 5% of our life, listen to this, only 5% could possibly be dedicated to making an impact, to sharing your life with someone, to to be there for someone, to to care about others, to, to, to look at your life and say, the rest of my story, this is, that's not a lot of time, is it? When you begin to get those things in place that have to happen and those things that we dedicate ourselves to. So look at the introduction. In this passage this morning, Paul gives practical instructions about how we as believers are to live the rest of our years that God has ordained for us. Paul prescribes six actions to take that will help us make the most of whatever time we have left. Whatever time we have left. Now, some of these will hit you right where you're living. Some of these will be things that maybe you had to deal with in the past. But I guarantee all these things are necessary for us, I believe, to tell and give the story that we want told about our lives. So six action steps to make the most of the remaining years. Number one, pay up. Pay up. And it's the whole idea of being careful with debt. Now, I realize some of you are here, you've, been, you've progressed into the senior years of your life. Maybe debt's been something that's foreign from you for some years now, and that's a blessing. I, uh, I think we all envy that at some point. But, but I want you to think of this. Look at what he says in, in verse 8 of Romans 13. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Now, what is he saying here? Many people take this, this part of Scripture and they say that a Christian is never justified in going into any type of debt. But neither the Old Testament nor the New Testament categorically forbids borrowing or lending. 
Doesn't, it, matter of fact, it, talks, it sets up a structure, how you're to loan money, how you're to borrow money. So, so it doesn't say you can't go in debt, but it's that whole idea that we need to be careful with our debt. In the Greek, the verb here that he's using is communicating, stop continuing to owe. That's really what it means. Meaning don't borrow and then not pay it back. In Psalm 37, 21, it's a good commentary on this verse. It says this, the wicked borrow and do not pay back, but the righteous give generously. Romans chapter 13 says, basically, don't leave any debt unpaid or outstanding. Don't default on your loans. Now, some of you are like, boy, you, you, you mean, boy, he's getting real practical here, isn't he? Think about what this letter has done. If you look at Romans, the first three chapters, he dedicated to the whole idea that we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're all in the same boat as it pertains to our sin. But then he introduces something in chapter 4, and he carries it all the way to chapter 8, and he talks about, but then there was grace introduced into our life through Jesus Christ. And then he spends 9, 10, 11 talking about some historical things, some parentheses. We're dealing with that on Wednesday nights. But then he comes to chapter 12, and like I said last week, he gets very practical. To the point he's even talking about debt. And, and, and the whole idea of we shouldn't owe so much money, but we, should, we do owe a debt of love to one another. So you can't get any more practical than talking about people's finances, can you? But listen to what he says. He's basically saying, pay your debts when they're due. Bad credit is a poor testimony. Paul seems to be saying, don't become overextended in debt. Don't assume more debt than you can handle. If, if there's a practical message, really, this is it. But what are some reasons not to go in debt? This is not on your outline, but these are things that, that I discovered by being in debt. Some of you know our testimony. Around, uh, probably in our mid-30s, uh, I'm older than that now. Some of you may not realize that, but I'm older than mid-30s. Um, I used to not look this way. The pastoral ministry has created this right here. <laughs> I used to look pretty young for my age, no more. You, hear, you hear, hear about these presents going office four years later to come out? You can't even recognize? That's, no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, uh, I'm, I'm messing, okay? Uh, but anyway... But in our mid-30s, probably all the way to our 40s, into the, right up around age 40, I mean, we had debt. I mean, it was, it was tough. And you know what it was doing to me personally? I tried to protect it from the rest of my family. I tried to, to take it up and just kind of deal with it. I mean, we had student loan debt. We had card, you know, just typical debt. It wasn't outstanding gambling charges or anything, nothing like that. But it was big. It was big, but these are some things that I learned in that time. You see, time works against you when you're in debt. Did you know that? It works against you. The time we were in debt and the time you're in debt, there's a whole idea that you're paying interest. Interest can add up. How many of you have that kind of experience with debt? It, debt, it can add up, can't it? And the whole time we're in that world, we weren't making the investments it's very interesting when you study scripture, especially when Jesus gave the parables. Do you know what themes seem to come back over and over again besides love and redemption? The whole idea of interest. The whole idea of something that builds and that whole idea. And so really, when you're in debt, time is working against you. Number two, I became so consumed with my bills. 
How many of you have ever been there before? I mean, some, some of you, I ain't raising my hand. I don't blame you, but I'll go ahead and put it out here, okay? But you know something? I was consumed. There wasn't hardly an hour to go by in the day that I was sitting there trying to figure out who do I need to pay this to? Who, who, who's, who's making the most? You know what I'm talking about? Now, listen, we, we pretty much paid our bills on time. We, we, I understood what it was to not have a bad testimony, and I, and I did understand that. But boy, I'm telling you, we cut it tight a lot. And, and, and I don't know about you, but it was constantly on my mind. And we need to be careful with that, especially young couples. It, it limited our ability to give to things we felt so passionate about. I mean, there's hardly a Sunday that we don't put something in front of you of, of ways that you can give and help in the community or help here at the church or whatever it is. And, and there were times I would sit right there where you are and think, man, I wish, I wish we were more freed up. You ever been there? And, and thank God I'm not there now or we're not there now. Here's another one. Debt may lead you to a course of disobedience. How many of you ever been in one of those situations where you weren't quite sure if you should do it, but you, you, you decided to go in debt to do it? And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm a stickler now. I think no debt is, one, is the best way to do it, okay? But you know something? You know what's interesting is, is sometimes the debt, the fact that I had to borrow money to, to get what I wanted, sometimes was enough for God to say, this it might not be for you. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? How, how many of you, maybe you have, you've been in that situation where you went and you, you tried to get it over here and they, they turned you down for one reason or another and you tried to, instead of just knocking on the door, you began kicking on the door and you tried over here and then you tried over here. Don't you think that's telling you something? Maybe this is not for you. And so many times... We use debt, believe it or not, to skirt obedience. And you got to be careful with that. And Paul, I mean, when you think about all these ideas, so, so, so here's another side of this. When I did begin, when, when everything flipped in our life, where we went from someone who was a family who was in debt, who was really trying to make it work and just felt the stifle of debt, here's the other side of it. Then we got to a position where we could help people. And there were times where people would ask for help. And you know something? I had to kind of learn things in a different way when it came to borrowing and lending. And so then I, I literally, I, I've had family that's asked me for help. And, and you know what? I learned something a long time ago that I found is very valuable. When you start lending people money, the relationship becomes in jeopardy. Did you know that? Have you seen that happen before? The, the relationship could be in jeopardy. And so you know something I learned a long time ago? It's not the fact that I don't have the money where I could meet the full need. But you know what I do now? What, Tina, what we try to do now is our, we will only lend what we're willing to lose. You, do you get that? So, so if someone came to me and said, hey, I have a $2,000 need. Can you help me out? By the way, I can't cover that today, okay? So... <laughs> And I look at that amount and I say, you know something? We really can't do without $2,000. But you know something? $500, I might be able to pull it in their mind. $500, we might be able to give to that. And then give, hoping they'll pay you back. <laughs> but not necessarily counting on it. You know why? Because relationships are, more money than five, are worth more money than $500. 
And if I was going to grow bitter lending 2000 because it's not paid back, I'm not going to lend 2000 Do you see what I'm saying here? I'm saying we have to be careful no matter what end we're on when it comes to debt. We've got to be careful whether we're lending. We've got to be careful whether we're borrowing. It's something that could really make a mess of things. And so we have to be careful. Here's another one. Six action steps to make the most of your, to make the most of your remaining life. Number two, build up. Love one another. Romans chapter 13. It's kind of interesting the way he shapes all this. Look at verse 8 again. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, now where would Paul get that thought from? You mean you love one another? You, you fulfilled the law because Jesus said this. They, they tried to trap him, remember? And he said, what's the greatest of all commandments? Love the Lord God with everything you are. Love him. And then the second is just as great. Love others as thyself. And, and you see that. He's bringing that whole thought back up. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covenant. And if there is any, if there, and if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you want to make the most of your time, love and care for one another. Now, how many of you know people that it's just easy to love them? It's just easy to love some people, isn't it? I mean, it's just, I mean, it's almost like, wow, these are great people. I, I just love these. I love being around. I, like, I just love these people. How many of you have the other side of that in your life, too? Yeah, but you know something? Our love is not contingent above, up, upon whether they're easy to love or they're difficult to love. We're commanded to do what? To love. Doesn't matter. To love. I mean, I've had, I've had those difficult times loving people before. I know there's been times, <laughs> and maybe we don't think this way all the time. I know there's been times where I've been difficult to love. Have you ever thought of it that way? No, we, 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 most of the time we spend our time saying, well, that's a difficult one to love. Oh, that's an easy one to love. But what about you? Where do you fit in that equation? Love one another. Listen to this statement. Love is like a muscle. It must be stretched. And it may become uncomfortable. You ever worked out before? Some of you are sitting there now. <laughs> yeah, well, you go work out with, with, with weights. You go into the gym, you're sitting there, you're, what are you doing with those muscles? You're, you, you, know, you know what literally happens when muscles build? There has to be the tearing of fiber. Did you get, you get that? Some of you are like, that's the reason I don't work out. I ain't tearing no fiber, you know? But, but anyway, you're, you're literally tearing fiber, muscle tissue. You're tearing it. You're basically tearing it. That's the reason you're sore the next day. That's the reason it's, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes love works that way. Sometimes it requires putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. Sometimes it requires that it may be a little awkward. Sometimes it requires that it may hurt. But love is not just something that's an emotion. It's there or it's not. The love he's talking about is a love that sometimes has to be stretched. It has to be tested. Many times it hurts. How many of you are talking, you know what I'm talking about? But how would the world classify love? 
The world would say, you know something, as long as the feeling's there. As long as the feeling's there. As long as, when the feeling's not there, it's just not there. No more love. Uh, that's not the love the Bible talks about. It talks about a love that's tested. It talks about a love that sometimes hurts. And that's kind of, that's what he's talking about here. Paul shows that genuine love respects the rights of other people. He, he lists the commandments that deal with people's personal rights and properties. He says, don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't covet. If you love or care for someone, I don't think you'll be stealing their car. Do you? I don't think you'll steal their spouse. I don't think you'll covet their home. I don't think you'll assassinate their character. I think what you'll do is you'll probably sometimes, many times, put their interests ahead of your own. That's the way the Bible describes this kind of relationship we're to have with one another. But our society bases love on externals. Can they provide wealth, dress, education, physical beauty? But unconditional love is the radical force that should be found in the church. Whether you're reaching out to orphans, whether you're trying to help people in your community, whether you're trying to get the gospel message out, it's got to be a radical force. And that's what God's called us to operate within. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and many of you have heard this. He says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I am only a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If, the, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, mysteries and all knowledge, of, uh, and if I have faith that I can move mountains, but I not have love, I am nothing. If I give all, my, all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he says, but you know something? Love, the kind of love that God has never fails. It's the radical force that should be at the heart of the church. Here it is, six action steps to make the most of my remaining life. Pay up, build up. Number two, or three, wake up. Make the most of opportunities. You see, I'm convinced that we many times are just kind of existing. We're just kind of moving through the day. Here's another day. Wonder what this day will bring. Let's see what will happen. We're not proactive. We're not out there being intentional with our life. We're not looking at things and saying, you know something, God can do something with this. We're just kind of existing. Do you know what I'm talking about? How many days of your life have you just existed? You see, what we heard in this video earlier, I believe, are people who wish that they would have made the most they would have made the best of the opportunities that were right there in front of them. That they didn't waste it. But they made the best of it. Romans chapter 13 verse 11 it says. And doing this. Knowing the time. That now is. Uh, it is high time. To awake after out of our sleep. For now our salvation is nearer. Than when we first believed. That means things are moving. Things are progressing. Wake up. Definition of sleep. Listen to this. See if this describes you at some point or maybe where you are today. State of an inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place around them. You ever been there? You know what you could call this? I believe this is really what Paul's calling it. Apathy. Not caring. Not caring. 
you hear something like the least of these Carolina or you hear something of a need that's raised in front of people. And, and I think so many times what we do is we, we, we hear it, we know it's important, but here's where we are. Someone else will do it. And here's how we spiritualize it. Someone who is called to do this will do this. I'm not so sure. Someone who does this, someone, someone who's good, this. You ever done that? When God could be asking, just step up. Paul says, wake up. Obviously, he's not talking about physical sleep. He's talking about spiritual laziness and lack of passion. He's saying, wake up. Procrastination. How many of you ever dealt with procrastination? Anybody? Yeah, some of you are just honest people. I mean, right when I asked a question, that's me. Nailed me. <laughs> Procrastination, you know, that was a big thing in my life, especially through college. I felt like, how many of you have ever been there when you were in college? I felt like I did my best work the night before. <laughs> Anybody remember those days? Study for that test. I study a week out, I'll forget that stuff. Let's cram it in there that night. How about writing that paper? I'll never forget. I was first started at Gardner Webb and I was making my way through my freshman year and and uh, I thought I'd get to this paper eventually. It was like a ten or twelve page paper. And so Tina gets the kids down for 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 the night and everything. I said, by the way, you want to help me write a ten to twelve page paper? <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> I learned right there and there, procrastination was not the best, you know. But it's that whole idea of, it, and think about it, it's one of the biggest enemies of the Christian life. One of these days, I'm going to get serious with God. One of these days, I'm going to take that Bible study. One of these days, I'm going to serve. One of these days. The fact is, the Bible says none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. The Bible's very specific. It says, today is the day for salvation. Today is the day. Respond today. Quit putting off things. None of us have the luxury of wasting time. Here's another one. Gear up. If you want to make the most of these last days or, or the rest of your life, it's that whole idea of gear up. Be prepared for battle. In Romans chapter 13, look at verse 12. He says, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Look at the contrast he's doing here. He's contrasting darkness uh, with light. He's talking about those days of our lives in which we lived in darkness. And, and by the way, that's how the Bible describes your life before you came to know Christ. You lived in darkness. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says you were quickened. And the, the light came your way. And, and the light turned on. And there's a whole different life. A whole different perspective. A whole different activities and reactions and attitudes that come with it. But he says this in the context of a battle. Get prepared for battle. Can I tell you one of the greatest tragedies for most Christians is that they don't realize they're in a battle. They don't realize someone's gunning for them. They don't realize that they have an enemy, that they had an enemy once they accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden, it's right there. They, they, they were unaware of the fact. The most used analogy in the New Testament for Christians is that they are a soldier. A soldier. Paul compares the Christian life to that being a soldier. He, he says now that you are awake, get up and get dressed. 
So what does the well-dressed soldier of God wear? Well, he tells you in verse 12, he says, put on the armor of light. It means to walk in truth. It means having wisdom and discernment, knowing what's going on around you. Quit being unresponsive. Wake up. Ephesians 6, many of you are familiar with this. He goes more, Paul's more specific. He says the armor of God. He says the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. He says, get ready. You're in a battle. You know, I heard someone say that the, the enemy will be just as happy with you where you are as a Christian, not, not necessarily if you're not living for God in the right way you should. If he can just get you to forget that there's God, he's really won the battle. And that is so true. We gotta quit being unresponsive. Another action that will help us make the most of whatever time we have left. Number, clean up. Maintain a pure life. Look at verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day. Now, sometimes when he, Paul, all the time when he talks about walk, he's talking about your lifestyle. He's talking about how you conduct your life. He says, do it properly. What's the, when, he, when he says properly, what's the context of that? By walking in light. But then he says, as in the day. Now, a lot of times when Paul says the day, sometimes it's capitalized. It's talking about a day of judgment. It talks about a day we're going to have to stand before God. But in this context, that's not the case. He says, walk, not like you're in darkness, walking around, stumbling all over the place. He's saying this day, be responsive, wake up, look at what's going on around you. Operate as if you're operating in the day. And look at this, verse 12, how do we know that? He says, the night is far spent. That was the condition of your life before Christ, unresponsive to the things of God. And then he says, the day is at hand. There's something new. Something's changing. And he says, therefore, cast off the works of the darkness that were back here and put on the light that describes your new life. How do you do that? Number one, it's not a lack of self-control. Look what he says in verse 13. Not in reverie and drunkenness. You're not going to get there with no self-control. You got to have control. Not a lack of moral purity. Not in lewdness and lust. And then thirdly, clean up, have a pure life, not a lack of unity. I'm going to show you something that may alarm you, but I want you to see something. Verse 13, not in strife and envy. Now, this is what may alarm you. God is basically saying here through the apostle that he considers the person who causes division and dissension that they are just as wrong as the person in sexual sin. Isn't it amazing how we look at sin? I mean, I mean, sexual sin, we know, is a category in itself. The, I mean, even Paul says it in Corinthians, it, it carries more weight than, any, than sin because it's, it, it has the most to be destructive. But then all of a sudden, he puts it, lumps it in, and he basically says, yeah, when we're out here talking about people and gossiping and spreading, creating division, he's also equating the two together. It's funny, we don't like to talk about that in the church. We don't, be, we don't want to be identified like the person caught in sexual immorality, do we? But yet the Bible says right here what we just read. 
says, but if we're causing strife and dissension, he equates that as being just as destructive. That's, that's pretty harsh. <laughs> that's tough. Lastly, six actions to make the most of the remaining life dress up. It's the whole idea to think like Christ. Look at verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the, for the flesh to fulfill its lust. If you're going to be successful, if you're going to live the rest of your life building this legacy, building how you desire to be remembered and all this stuff, the thing you need to realize is, is, is the fact that, that what are we going to do when it comes to lust? What are we going to do when it talks about the flesh? Well, how do you learn to think like Jesus? He says you got to put him on. You got to put him on. <laughs> when it says putting on Christ, there's several things in Scripture that we're called to put on like that. We're to put on the mind of Christ. How many of you know that scripture? Yeah, put on the mind of, have the mind of Christ. Think like he thinks. Uh, we're, we're called many times to take off something and put on something. What we're putting on, have you ever thought about this in scripture? We're called to take off the works of darkness. And he gives us this list, all these different things. But then he says, basically, put on these things. You know what we're actually putting on? The character of God. The character of God. That's what we're putting on, moral purity. All those things. We're putting on God. We're putting those things. But here's the path to maturity. Romans 12, 2. He starts the whole section, the second verse, by saying, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he says in Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Now, what is he telling us? If there's going to be any maturing, if there's going to be anything new, if we're going to set the stage for our lives to count for something at the end of this life, what, what he's basically saying is it's going to begin in our minds. It starts right there. Think of this. The way you think determines the way you feel. And the way you feel determines the way you act. Any psychologist will tell you that. But before psychology was invented, guess what? God's word said this. Think about it. The way you think determines the way you feel. The way you feel determines the way you act. So where does the whole battle begin? Where does the whole maturing process begin? Right here in the mind. That's where it all starts. Rather than trying to change the externals, change the way you think. Your thought life. That changes the way you feel. That changes the way you act. Many are working on the externals when they should be working on the internals. You are made new in the attitude of your mind. In Romans chapter 13, Paul says, if you want to make the most of your time, learn to think and live like Jesus. But how do you do that? Galatians 5, 16. Therefore, walk in the spirit. This is the life he's called you to. Walk in that. And you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh where you once were. Walk in the spirit. This is where you walk. Realizing there's a battle. Safeguarding myself. Walking in wisdom. Walking in truth. The secret is to walk in the spirit. Now listen to this about that verse. 
Notice it doesn't say walk in the spirit and you won't have those desires. <laughs> I want you to think about that. A lot of people believe that they've matured in Christ when they walk in the spirit and, and basically they no longer even have those desires. Can I tell you, that's a long, 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 long process before that happens. And for some people, it never goes away. Now, let me say this. As long as we're in the flesh, what stands the risk of messing us up? The flesh. It doesn't say that. It says walk in the spirit. It doesn't say you won't have those desires. There's a big difference there. The, the, the key is you got to walk in the spirit. And as long as you're walking in the spirit, you're not fulfilling this over here. So you keep your mind where? Walking in the spirit. It doesn't mean you won't ever, those desires won't creep back in there. But you renounce those things. You don't meditate on those things. You don't negotiate with those things. You don't say, well, you know, I do kind of miss that. Or, <laughs> no, what does he say? The only way to make it sure proof, walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Doesn't mean the desire's not going to be there. Some of you will die with some of those desires. You say, really? How many of you are disappointed in that? I told a 14-year-old um, a the other day, and we were just sitting there, and I, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm trying to mentor him a little bit, and, and we were talking, and, and we are talking about heaven, and I asked him, I said, what do you look forward most about heaven and he, he started talking about all these things he's very scientific and he talked about all these things we get to discover what God made you get to do all this and and he looked at me he said what about you I said you know something I'm sick and tired of battling my flesh I am sick and tired of those this battle that goes on he looked at me like deer in the headlight really I said yeah and you'll get to that age too <laughs> You know, but isn't it amazing how for some of us, just the whole reality of heaven is just getting to the point where we don't have to battle this stuff anymore? I long for that. I'm sick and tired. Some of you are like, boy, you're a bigger sinner than I thought you were. You are too. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Don't hold, let it hold on. Look at the application. Is this your prayer today? Lord, I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. I can't do anything about what's back there. It's done. It's been done. I have regrets. I, know, I don't want the shame and the guilt and all that to come into the... But God, I can't do anything about that back there. And here's what we could say. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, but you know something? I realize it's under the blood. I realize you're not holding that against me. I praise you for that. But God, help me to be more determined from this day forward to live the life that you've called me to live. Help me to live that life out because, God, I want so much more. I do have those regrets. I wish I'd have paid more attention to where the kids were. I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd have done that. If I could have only done that. What if I'd have done that? Why don't we just bury that? Why don't we bury that today? And say, God, I'm looking for a whole new journey. I want the best years 
live for you to be the ones to come. And some of you are sitting in this room and some of you are in your 20s, some of you are in your 30s. It doesn't matter where we are. The 20-year-old is making the same decision as anyone 90 years old. We're just looking to make the best years count. For this prayer to be true in your life, verses 8 through 14 must become a reality in your life. And so here's the way I want to end this. The way Paul Harvey would say it. And now the rest of the story. That's what awaits. That's what awaits. Is that what you want? I want to invite you to stand to your feet, please. Father, we just come to you now and we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the way that it can convict. We thank you for the way that it can bring victory. We thank you for the way it challenges us. Father, I don't know what the needs are in this room. I do know that most of the time we're in a room this size with this many people that there's the possibility someone out there who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray today will be a day that they can say, you know something, I want it to begin for me today. Well, Lord, where they'll turn from their sin, they'll turn from what was before and turn to what you provide in the future. That redemption, the fact they can be forgiven for no matter what they've done in their life. Father, I pray for the Christian that may be here today. and Maybe they would say, you know something? I would have to say that I've been asleep for the last decade. I've been unresponsive to the things of, of the Spirit. I've been unresponsive. I've just kind of been going through the motions. I've just been kind of going through the day. Father, I pray that you'll help us to wake up. Wake up and see that the greater days are ahead of us. The days that we can impact the kingdom. The days in which we can live the fullest of life. The days when our relationship with our spouse can be better than they've ever been. With our children, our grandchildren can be better than they've ever been. Father, I just pray that you'll just help us to take on these things that we said here today. That we would mature in you. Father, if there's someone here that is looking for a church, church home to be a part of, Lord, we welcome them here today, Father. And just pray that you just do a work in their life. If, if you're calling them here, Lord, uh, that they could come today and we could be a part of this body as we attempt to reach out into this community and the world. Thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We invite you to respond. Myself and Gary will be here this morning.